If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Welcome to Hamilton Today. As we prepare for the Snowcano. How's that? Or the Snowtastrophe. I don't know. Does that work? That's kind of lame. Snownado? Because it's come off of the tornado winds from We're the about to be obliterated. Hey, Obliterated. Yeah, no, no. It's it's going to be the fast and the flurious. That's weak. Anyway, big snow apparently coming. I, I know you've heard this. We are We are in the final moments of life as we know it. <laughs> Again, too much? A little over the top. It is. Uh, we're expecting that around four o'clock or thereabouts, white things will begin descending from the sky, and then it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Around seven or eight or nine, sometime in there, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Storms are coming. We need, we need, you know, what we need, Will. We need to get one of those air raid sirens for the snow. Now, this will, of course, throw some people off who are just tuning in and thinking that somehow the Russians are coming. But nonetheless, it is, uh, we are sitting here preparing to bring you home through what will have been the start of, well, what the weather people are telling us is, yeah, take cover, snow's coming. It's going to be, it's going to be something. And when I say something, I mean, that covers a lot of different bases. That could be one centimeter or 100 centimeters. It's going to be something. Welcome to the show. Scott Radley in for Scott Thompson. Scott is not here today, not because of the snow. He'll be back Monday. We have got a lot to get to today besides the weather, though we will be talking about the weather today, obviously, because it is, we, we joke, but it is supposed to be pretty nasty by later this evening. If you own a snowblower, you are one of the smart ones. Guess who owns a snowblower? This guy. Guess whose snowblower doesn't work right now? This guy. Yes. That is a brilliant bit of planning on my part. The snowblower somehow in the fall, which we usually do, did not get in for its annual checkup, tune-up, whatever else, and uh, it does not want to start right now. You let the fuel get stale? No, no, there was something else wrong with it, and it just, it's just one of those things that you, you, you know those old commercials for V8, where you slap in and go, I could have had a V8? It's kind of like that, only I could have just taken the stupid snowblower in and had it ready to go, because, you know, sounds like today would be a really good day for it, but I will be out there doing it by hand. It's like when the check engine light comes on when you're right in the middle of the boonies, like, oh, uh-oh. Exactly. Exactly. Or I can get there on the gas I have in my tank, and then you run into traffic, and you're in the middle lane of a five-lane superhighway miles from anywhere, and the low gas light comes on. That's, that is the panic of all panic. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of the things, as we're talking about this, the, the things in technology in our lives that cause us the most stress – I would think that a low fuel, your gas light coming on when you're in the middle of nowhere would be one of those most stressful things. I would think that the spinning ball, the spinning wheel of doom on your computer when you've been working on a project and you haven't saved for a few minutes and the computer seizes up, that that would be up there with one of the 
all-time stressors. You forgot to print off a map or bring a paper map with you, and uh, your phone now says 2%. The phone, uh, that's another one. The phone being down where the red bar is on, and you're at 2%. Who would have thought 20 years ago that a phone being down at low battery would cause us the kind of angst that this does? But it does. It does. Phone at low battery now is... It, it 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 makes you shake. It makes your heart rate go up. It's crazy. It's the instant stressor. It is. Well, let me tell you what's coming up on the show besides snow today. Uh, we're going to talk about the Hagersville Catch the Ace jackpot. Have you heard about this thing? This is a wild story that I am just catching on to, which is probably in part because I'm not a gambler, so I wasn't really looking. It's a wild story, though. We're going to tell you about that one. We will get into the weather, specifically or at least partly, to do with angry bees. What do bees have to do with a blizzard? Oh, oh! stick around. You will find out. I assure you there is a connection. Uh, we're going to talk about the Bank of Canada next week. They say they're not, it says it's not going to be increasing interest rates. What does this mean? Is this a sign of great things, or is this a sign of something else? We'll, we'll get into that. Uh, Pierre Polyev is going to be in Hamilton tomorrow, leader of the Conservatives. I talked to him earlier today. We're going to play that interview next hour. You've heard a little bit of it on the news if you've been listening, but we'll give you the whole thing. Uh, the coronation of King Charles is going to be is in about two months. Have you heard anything in this country about plans? There are monarchists who are now quite concerned that the, this is a sign that the government of our country is really going to not do anything about this. Let it slide. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Uh, Tim Hortons. Really interesting piece in the paper today. The Tim Hortons of old is vanishing. Hmm. I mean, normally, most places, that would certainly not be something we would talk about on a radio show. But here in the place where that, that, that store, that franchise was created and developed, we have a connection to that. It's a really interesting story. And at the very end, start thinking about this. At the very end of the show today, for the last bit, History of the World Part 2, Mel Brooks' History of the World Part 2 comes out this weekend on Disney+. Plus. Never thought I would see a sequel to History of the World Part 1, which was about 1980, 1981. Very politically incorrect now, but nonetheless. It's good to be the king. It's good to be the king. Yes, that's the line that I always remember. That one and one other I can't say on the air. There is a story around here that uh, I don't want to admit that I'm late to the party on this one, but I'm late to the party on this one. And it is the Hagersville Catch the Ace Progressive Jackpot. Now, maybe I'm late to the party on this one because I'm not a gambler, but I got to tell you, it has got my attention now, and I, I may be tempted to jump in on this one. Tanya Ribink is with the Hagersville Lions Club. She joins us now. Tanya, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am fantastic. Listen, this story, tell us what this is, and then, well, start there. Tell us what this is for people who don't know what the Hagersville Catch the Ace progressive jackpot is. Yeah, so it is a progressive raffle um, under the OLG license. The Hagersville Lions Club is partnering with the Hagersville Rocks Committee to raise money for charities in our community. And what happens, we start out with a deck of cards. And we put all those cards into envelopes, seal them up, roll them in a drum, and then number them 1 to 52. Every week we sell tickets. People have a chance to have their ticket picked at the end of the day. And if we pick their ticket, they get 20% of that day's sales. And on their ticket, they'll have written down an envelope number that they think holds the Ace of Spades. 
So we will open that envelope for them. And if it's not the ace of spades, we keep going, which we have been doing for the past 41 weeks. Wow. And if it is the ace of spades, they win the progressive pot that grows every week. Which is at what now? So the progressive sits at 839994 as of last night, which means we, we do an estimated jackpot for next week. So after sales next week, we will be over $1 million for the, for the ace jackpot. And Tanya, what's funny about this, or fun about this, I guess, is there's lots of lotteries that offer more than a million dollars. I mean, a million dollars is a lot of money, but it's not so unique that no one's ever heard of such a pot before. But for you guys in a smaller community like Hagersville to not only get this going, but to generate so much interest that you're selling out week after week and now over a million, that, that's, that's incredible. It's, it's bonkers. It's blown all of our minds. We never <laughs> in our wildest dreams imagined it would grow this large. Why has it? Um, well, I mean, I think your odds are a lot greater. Uh, in the beginning, the first, I mean, it really didn't take off until about week 30. Um, but in the beginning, we had people playing because your odds are really good. If I'm only selling 250 tickets, you've got a really good chance of having your ticket pulled. And then, so while, while the odds of having your ticket pulled are, are growing, your odds are decreasing that if your ticket is pulled, you'll pick the right envelope because... The envelopes are decreasing every week. We started with 52, and now I believe we have 10 or 11 envelopes left. That's it. Okay, so I, so you don't replace them each time. There's not 52 every time. It gets a better chance each time out. So that's the thing. I mean, when we run this lottery, we run the risk of it. It could be over in week four. We could open the envelope and find the ace of spades, and then it's done until we apply for a new license. The first round we did, it lasted 21 weeks, and the winner walked away with just over $10,000. And that's not even getting near to what our no, 20% no. consolation prize is. And no. when you say that when this started out with 250 tickets, uh, for the March 2nd draw, so yesterday, there were 86,405 tickets sold. It is it is gone berserk. It has. It has. It's just shot off off the charts. And and at the at the rate that you're growing, because week after week you're going up by five, ten, fifteen thousand, you're gonna have a hundred thousand tickets by probably next week's draw. That's correct. Yeah, and that's a tricky game too, because it there there's a cost associated with the printing of tickets and we don't wanna overprint because then we're leaving money on the table that could be going to our charities. That said, uh it's no it's no surprise when there's now ten or twelve envelopes left and it's that is between you and a million dollars i i can i can understand where the as i say i'm not a lottery player but uh boy when you say that i can i i can certainly wrap my head around why that would be enticing and from the photo that i see it was in the um uh in the sackham in the in the local paper um are these tickets only purchased at one location that's correct we only sell them one day a week in person at the Hagersville Legion Branch 164. Because the photo here looks like back in the 80s, people lining up for Grateful Dead tickets. I mean, <laughs> the lineup goes on forever. We're waiting to see if people pitch tents next week. <laughs> <laughs> they may well do that. I mean, why not? Yeah. <laughs> Especially because I, I, I think, and again, me being catching on to this late, I think there's probably an awful lot of people who at this point, Tanya, who are just now learning about this, honestly, whether it's right now hearing it or whatever else, um, you may go up way over 100000 this week because of all the attention you've got. Every week we have people come up to the ticket table saying, this is my first time. How does this work? We're new here. 
Every single week. Which you know what Murphy's Law requires then. You know it is almost guaranteed that those poor people who have lined up every single week to get a ticket have no chance. It's going to be some person who comes just once, <laughs> buys one ticket, and they're going to hit the thing. You know that's how it's going to go, don't you? We will have to wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> and that person may want to escape town quickly from the yeah. people who are not happy. Uh, okay, so uh, tell us again. If somebody does want to get a ticket, because the next draw will be on March the 9th, if someone yeah. was in interested in getting a ticket, how do they do it? Or tickets? They have to come show up in person. It's cash only. Tickets are $10 each or three for 20. Um, if you can't be there yourself, you can send someone else as long as they, you trust them to put <laughs> your name and phone number on the ticket. That, yes, that is a high level of trust, especially if you yeah. hit the number. They will suddenly never have heard of you before. Uh, right. I, I'm sorry. I know we have the same last name, but we're not related. I've got the ticket. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so the Legion in, in uh, and again, the hours? Uh, doors will open at 10.30 in the morning, and we sell until 7.50 p.m. unless we sell out ahead of time. Uh, if we do have tickets remaining, we have a hard cutoff of 750 because we do need 10 minutes to, to gather all our numbers before we go with the live video and the draw. Okay, so it's real easy because it's only sold the day of the draw. So March the 9th. Basically yeah, all day. Okay, that's yeah. it's uh, people can and again people can go online and I'm sure they can look it up. The Hagersville Catch the Ace jackpot. Uh, I say you know what we don't normally do a lot of stuff on gambling here, but this is a very fun story and and with the fact that this money is going to local charities, good for you guys. Uh, Tanya, really it. appreciate I mean, this. It's staying in our community, which is huge to our local food banks and our local hospital and other lines initiatives. It's just the community is winning regardless. Absolutely, absolutely. Tanya Ribbing from the Hagersville. Lions Club. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much. Let us uh, go to the news. Maybe by this time next week, we will be talking to someone who won the million dollars. I wonder if their last name will be Radley. Hmm. <laughs> if it is, I may not come in the next day. I'm not sure. It's, you know, we'll, 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 we'll debate that when that time comes. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. I used to work at a paper uh, where one time the wire service broke down. And so the guy who had to fill in the weather on page two went outside, he had a little arthritis and he sort of bent his knee a couple times and he went, yeah, knee feels pretty bad. It's going to be raining tomorrow. I mean, I suppose there's a million different ways to determine what the weather is going to be like, but this is a new one. A TikToker from the Niagara area has gone viral because his bees are helping determine whether or not there is going to be snow. He is known as the Angry Beekeeper. His name is Lee Moore, Lee Moore, who joins us now. Lee, how are you today? Angry Beekeeper here. I'm doing very good. How are you today? You don't sound nearly angry enough to have the name Angry Beekeeper. No, I don't think I'm very angry. I think <laughs> I'm pretty easy going. This is a fascinating story about... So you do keep bees, and these bees, you believe, can help determine what the weather is going to be? That is absolutely correct. Okay, how? Well, there's many different ways they can do it. Typically, when there's precipitation coming, they don't leave the hive. They don't poop outside the hive. A lot of people think that bees hibernate all winter. They do not. Bees are very active in the winter. They do not hibernate. And so precipitate, you're talking anything, snow, rain, any kind of precipitation, they're going to yep, stay snow, in. snow, rain, any type of precipitation. Also, too, depending on how they behave in the fall, they can sort of tell me a few things that are going to happen over winter. Do you want to hear what they are? Please. 
for example, the way they store their honey, the way they store pollen and the amount of pollen. If they don't store much pollen, pollen is what they feed their babies in the spring. If they don't store much, that means they know that come April, they'll be able to go out and grab it and there won't be snow cover. So they're better than, than Wyatt and Willie at determining the early spring. You know what? They absolutely are. And I predicted this was going to be a very mild winter and it has actually totally met my expectations. This has been very, very mild. And I believe it's going to be an early spring. Okay, so now I should ask, because what we've been talking about on the news all day for a few days now is this massive storm that we're expecting to be moving in. Are the bees active right now or are they hiding inside? Is the storm coming or not? The storm is coming. The bees are all clustered up and they act like they are, we're in for some weather. Okay, so we've got that. Where, where, where did you first get this or learn this? Is this something that you just recognize? Is this something that you read about or learned about? How, how did this come to be? Pardon me to be. Well, this is something, this is something <laughs> I kind of developed on my own. I've been keeping detailed notes for at least 10 years. And it's not hard to see correlations between bee behavior and the weather. Is it that obvious, though? Like, because something oh, would have obvious. something oh, would yes. have made and you notice. Just, all the hives behave the same way. If you have a bee yard with thirty or forty hives in it, they all get the same memo, and they all behave the same. They all store the honey the same, and they will all store the pollen the same, and they will all just behave identical. They all get the same memo. And are they ever wrong? Um, they're never wrong. I might be wrong periodically when I look at their behavior and I make assumptions about it, but the bees are never wrong. The bees have been around for 65 million years. If they get the weather wrong, they're dead. So how many times have you then heard a weather report that says either no precipitation is coming or big storm is coming and you look at your bees and you say, no, that's totally wrong? Well, I would say it, it's happened a few times. I've looked at the bees and they are just way too active for bad weather that's coming and the bad weather just never really comes. So it's 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 not hard to see. I I sometimes disagree with the Weather Channel, but I don't want to bad talk them. They they do a great job and they're very important. To it, is that though where the angry beekeeper title came from? From one of the TikTok videos when the weather that was being predicted was not lining up with what you thought was coming. You know what? No, what I think what it is. Um, I'm pretty easygoing and jovial, and that's you know sort of a. I guess you'd call that like a jumbo shrimp type thing. And the other thing is when I when I talk to people, even on my front porch, people that come for honey or people that just want to come out, I get excited and I use my hands and I start talking loudly. <laughs> and I think that I kind of I'm a little imposing. And I think that's how the angry beekeeper came about. How many people then? I'm just very passionate. Well, and, and why not? I mean, especially if you've got something that sure. works. If we stumble on something that works, why not be passionate about it? Are, are you now getting, because of, it, I mean, TikTok really, I think, exposed this and, and presented you to a lot more people. Are you getting a lot more people now every time there is going to be a storm predicted getting in touch with you? Are you now the oh. sort of de facto weatherman? Oh, absolutely. It's I never expected, like literally just thousands of people reach Really? Out. That many? Oh, yes. Well, actually, I think 1,130-something people wished me happy birthday in January, so I thought that was pretty cool. How long have you been doing this? How long have you been, not, not the weather predicting, the beekeeping? Uh, basically, about the last 10 years, I really got seriously into it. Growing up, several of my good friends worked with bees. 
Um, so I was always around it. And then I was laid off about 10 years ago and I went and worked with a local beekeeper and I was just in love. I was just blown away and I couldn't believe that everybody doesn't talk about bees every day. I just find it so fascinating and amazing and they are so important to us. What else though? Okay, so if they can predict predict the weather, is there anything else, any other secret talents other than you know making honey and stuff? Is there any other secret things we could learn from them that we're not tapping into? Well, they, I think that they need a lot more study. Like bees have magnetic crystals in their head. They, uh, they are sensitive to changes in the gravitational field. They pollinate our food. They, they produce our food. That's unbelievably important. Uh, um, just basically along that line, yeah, bees are unbelievably important to us. The and I'd like to know what other health benefits are inside that hive. Bee, bees produce wax, propolis, and. Everything about the bees is very antibacterial and has health benefits. It is. Uh, it's a fascinating thing. I mean, look, we, we know that there are um, signs that nature gives us of different weather patterns. I mean, I remember my mom years ago talking about, you know, birds would sing or behave a certain way if weather was coming or turn their backs. Off. And it, why not? I mean, it makes all the sense in the world, as you say, that bees would be able to do this or, you know, that, that it shouldn't be a shock to us that there's an answer here. It's, it's fascinating stuff. Oh, yeah. I just I love it. I'm just enthralled. And I, I keep learning. Even after 10 years, I keep learning. And it's I just find it very fascinating. Uh, by the way, uh, do you have people come by? Could people come by and like you're not doing tours of the bees to show how they behave? But no, <clears throat> but you're probably no, I, mean, I don't do tours, but I, I love talking to the public. I absolutely love it. Well. There you go. It's it's uh, Lee Moore. You can look him up. The angry beekeeper, although, as we say, that's an oxymoron. Really uh, very unangry. I really, really appreciate this, Lee. Thanks for doing this today. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. Call me anytime. We and Look, every time now there's a big storm. We're going to talk to the weather guy, and then we're going to be talking to the angry beekeeper. It only makes sense. Lee, thanks for doing this. Hey, you're welcome. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. We just spoke to the bee guy. The bees have spoken. The weather is going to be bad. To be bad. It's really hard not to have puns when you're when the word bee shows up nonstop when you're talking about bees. Anyway. The weather is going to be bad, according to the bees, but not just according to the bees, also according to those who use more traditional technology like radar and Doppler and those kind of things, including Ross Hall, global news meteorologist who joins us now. Ross, how are you? Hi, Scott. I'm good. Be careful about trusting bees for uh, weather forecasts. Have you ever used bees for your forecasting? No, I have not. I'll have to research that and see, uh, see, and you know, obviously they have a sense of what's happening seasonally and all, and so on. But uh, interesting take for sure. Um, yeah, we've got uh, we've got this significant system on the way. Uh, you want to be careful out there. I'm going to stop with the puns, but um, we, uh, yeah, this is a the, the precipitation is already starting to uh, move close to the Hamilton area. It's going to intensify likely as we move towards the five, six, seven o'clock hour, and this is going to be likely for Hamilton. Depends on where you are, but 
uh, going to be a very heavy, wet snow event along with some very strong winds. So yeah. uh, dra- travel conditions this evening are going to be treacherous. Well, okay. So let's let's back up to the beginning of this because ever, as we knew, we've been hearing about this now for three or four days, maybe two or three days anyway, that this was coming. But there's always that caveat that whether people put in front of the sentence that says, but we're not exactly sure where it's going to hit yet, that it could head a little north, head a little south. We don't know. Do We now know, right? We now know that we're going to get hammered with it. Yeah, so there's no doubt that this system is going to bring a lot of precipitation. There's a lot of moisture associated with it. Uh, anyone just looking at uh, any weather app radar will see that. Now you're seeing a lot of rain uh, south of uh, Lake Erie and Lake Ontario, uh, some snow south of Lake Ontario through portions of New York State. Uh, but what we're expecting, what we're already seeing, is this heavy, wet snow around places like Hamilton. However, uh, say the mountain, for instance, higher terrain will likely get into heavier amounts. But we think that temperatures, uh, certainly in the upper levels of the atmosphere, are cold enough for snow. It's that surface temperature. But even though temperatures are going to be around the freezing mark to possibly just above, you can still see very heavy, wet snow. Uh, and that's what we're expecting. And uh, again, coupled with the winds, uh, makes for a very uh, dangerous combination. And it's very intense over a short period, relatively short period of time as well. Okay, so what we have been hearing also, and for those who are beginning their commute home, We've been hearing on the the traffic here that the commute has started early today. No surprise. People trying to get ahead of this. Earlier, I'd heard that by like 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock was going to be the worst. Has that moved up or is still that what we're expecting? No, I think that's that's fair. I think that you know initially we'll start to see some precipitation move in likely earlier than seven o'clock. However, as seven, eight, nine o'clock roll in, that's when we expect the uh, the most intense precipitation with this. And what's pretty remarkable as a meteorologist is uh, the snowfall rates with with this storm. You know, we often talk about. Uh, the amounts that we see, you know, the final tally. But uh, that's important, obviously, if you need to, you know, shovel, clean snow off your car or shovel your driveway. Uh, but what's what we want to warn people about with this storm is just the intense snow over that seven to, say, midnight period, uh, which could deliver four to six uh, centimeters an hour around Hamilton, possibly heavier amounts as you head up the escarpment areas north and west. Uh, that type of snow, that amount of snow in a short period of time, coupled with strong winds, uh, will make for you know difficult travel. This is you know very hard to drive in. It, it gets compacted very quickly, and there's even the possibility that uh, some of that wet snow sticks onto tree branches and power lines, and with the winds, uh, the possibility of some power outages. So you know the bottom line is if you don't have to be out, it's you, you're mentioning that people are getting home early. That's a good thing to do if you don't have to be out between that window, uh, mainly seven to midnight. Just don't do it because it's going to be uh, really tough out there. Ross, let me ask you what might be the stupidest question you're going to get asked all day, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, The fact that we're getting or we're supposed to be getting this heavy, wet snow, is that absolutely entirely due just to the air temperature that it's not freezing? Or is there something else that goes into why it comes down as super wet snow as opposed to fluffy white snow? No, that's a very good question, actually. Uh, I love talking about this. Basically, you know, I don't know if you recall the uh, the snowstorm that happened back in January 2022. That was the big storm that hit the area. Uh, and that was very fluffy snow because it was so cold in the upper levels of the atmosphere and near the surface. So what we talk about is snow ratios. And a typical snow ratio, if you can imagine this, would be uh, 10 centimeters equals one centimeter or 10 millimeters of rain or liquid precipitation. Well, in this case, 
we are talking likely five centimeters, five to eight centimeters will hold that same amount of moisture. And it's because temperatures are closer to the freezing mark and not quite as cold. So it won't be as fluffy. You're going to get this, you know, larger flakes, this wet snow type of situation. And it's quite rare that we do see that intense amounts of snow with the wet snow, but it's because there's so much moisture associated with this system and some pretty good dynamics in the upper levels of the atmosphere for it to be able to come down so quickly. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's, I hope that explains your question. Yeah, well, that's, that's basically why we're seeing it is because of the temperatures in the upper levels of the atmosphere and, and at the surface. It does. And my lumbar area is already beginning to ache just thinking about the shoveling that will be coming this evening. But uh, <laughs> Oh man, me too. Me too. It's, uh, it's rough. But you know, the good thing is Temperatures will start to rise a little above freezing as we head into the weekend, not a massive melt. So some of this snow will melt over the uh, the coming days. Oh, okay. And I didn't mention amounts either for Hamilton. I think it, it'll be close to 20, possibly 30 centimeters uh, over parts of the mountain there. So uh, wow. it's a good amount. It's a good amount. And it's too bad it's not melting more because then we could do the usual lazy thing and just wait it out. But now <laughs> I'm going to have to get in shovel. Uh, Russell, Global News Meteorologist, thanks for taking the time. Busy day today, I know, but appreciate you jumping in. Thanks, Scott. Have a good weekend. You as well, and shuffle safely. Welcome back to Hamilton Today here on 900 CHML. We are hearing that the Bank of Canada, which has been very aggressive with interest rate hikes since it began trying to battle inflation, is probably not going to be raising interest rates again next week. At least that is what we're hearing right now, which either says that the rates, the increases are working so well, or I don't know. Maybe there's something else there. Uh, let's go to Mike Moffat. He is an assistant professor in the Business, Economics, and Public Policy Group at the Ivy Business School and is the Senior Director of Policy and Innovation at the Smart Prosperity Institute. Mike, thank you for this. Oh, thank you for having me. So my, okay, let me let me start being an optimist, the glass half full guy, that all these rate hikes that have been brought in that have brought pain to a lot of people are now being so effective that we no longer have to do anything else and inflation is on its way back down to the 2% that they say they want it to go to. Is that crazy optimism or is that close? Well, that's certainly what the, the Bank of Canada uh, believes. So right now, uh, the, the latest data we have on inflation is that it was 5.9%. And as you point out, we want it to be 2%. But uh, last July, it was 8.1%. So we've gone from about 8 to 6 So we seem to be declining. And any Bank of Canada rate decision really takes about 12 to 18 months to uh, filter into the economy and really infect, uh, affect inflation. So what the Bank of Canada is trying to do is hit a moving target. So the rate decisions they make today are more uh, in line of trying to affect inflation, you know, spring and summer of 2024. So they're sending a signal that they believe by early to mid 2024, we should be back around that 2% uh, target. So uh, if you're optimistic, uh, the Bank of Canada would seem to share in your optimism. Well, that's not my default position. <laughs> it's just as I look at this, I think, well, if it wasn't, if there wasn't reason to believe something was happening positive, they would continue to raise them. That, that would be my naive, you know, non-professional business person thought that if things are not looking like they're heading where they should be, they'd continue because they don't seem to have any problem doing it. Yeah, they, and they've they've signaled that that if uh, if they don't think inflation's under control um, or or at least moving in the right direction, they will hike rates. So you know, markets are telling us that there's less of a less than a five percent chance of a rate hike on Wednesday. 
Um, you know, pretty much all the the big five banks, all the analysts are saying it's really not likely to happen. And, and for that reason, again, we've seen inflation go down. Uh, we had some economic growth numbers released earlier uh, or in late February, showing that uh, the economy is is rather flat. So basically, most of the indicators you would expect uh, to to signal, you know, inflation turning to normal are moving in the right direction. You know, there are some other indicators, you know, food prices are still stubbornly high. Uh, gas prices uh, were up in January. But for the most part, enough things are moving in the right direction that the Bank of Canada is seems to be confident that they don't they don't need to do more. Okay, so let me now go to my usual position, which is more pessimistic about these kind of things, which is you've said that it usually takes about 12 to 18 months for everything to kick in from these interest rates. If we're already we, we keep hearing this, this rumor, this belief that there's a recession looming just around the corner. We haven't been 12 to 18 months yet. Is there a chance that we are that these rates that they've already raised we just haven't hit the point where the tail has whipped around to get us and we're heading towards a big recession because of the rates they've already raised. Well, that's certainly the, the concern that the Bank of Canada has and, and why they're not uh, increasing rates uh, further. That's they're, they're trying to accomplish what's known as a soft landing. So they're basically trying to get inflation down and cool off the economy, but not cool it off so much that they they get us into uh, into a recession. Right now, the best in indicators that we have is that we're more likely than not not to be in a recession. But, you know, that's more of a, or going into a recession. But that's kind of a, a seven. 70, 30 uh, thing. Overall, like 70% that we're not, uh, 30% that we are going into a recession. But either way, it would seem that our, our economic growth this year is probably going to be sort of plus one, plus one percent or minus one percent. So somewhere close to zero. So, um, you know, if we do have a recession, it's going to be relatively mild. And if we don't have a recession, we're probably not going to have a lot of growth like this is this is going to be a year where we're trying to return everything to normal. This is not going to be a, a particularly hot economy. I do actually try to avoid watching a lot of people on YouTube videos or reading a lot of stuff because it seems as though the alarmists on both sides are out absolutely in force around the economy these days. Either everything is absolutely hunky-dory and we are in smooth sailing or we are heading for absolute financial Armageddon. It's really hard to find, I think, uh, for you know, common sense or rational viewpoints these days if you are going and searching the web to try and find opinions. Yeah, there's this idea in economics that basically all economic news is bad, that, you know, if you want to put a, a negative spin on something, you, you can find something. And I think that's been amplified over the last few years, you know, with with the pandemic. We, we've had a rough time and there are real problems with the economy. We've had inflation going up faster than wages. So it's understandable that uh, people might not be feeling great right now when they're they might not have gotten a raise or gotten one or two percent when you you know, prices are up six uh, percent and groceries are up eleven percent. So I can understand where that uh, pessimism is coming from. But overall, it does seem like the Bank of Canada and other central banks around the world are achieving their objective of of moving towards a, a soft landing without uh, you know crashing everything and throwing us into a recession. The one thing we got to go, but the one thing that the real practical thing that does really cause me concern, though, when I when I hear Tiff Macklin a couple times or maybe more than a couple times, he's talked about employment is still too high. That that suggests by definition 
that to get our economy back to where it needs to be, we need to have more people unemployed. That that that's a really tough place to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that that framing uh, by TIFF is uh, particularly helpful. So Ken Bosenkul and I have written a few pieces on this. So I, I would like to see the Bank of Canada, first of all, focus more on prices and, and talk about that rather than employment. And secondly, show some humility. Uh, we've seen uh, a number of confident statements come out of the Bank of Canada over the last two or three years, which haven't played out as well as the Bank of Canada has intended. So I'd like to you know hear a little bit less uh, from TIFF. And when we do hear from them, have them talk about prices and and do so with a little bit more humility. Mike Moffat from the Ivy Business School. I always love having you on. Thanks for taking time today. Oh, thank you for having me. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Mr. Polly, thank you for the time today. Great to be with you. All these visits, it almost sounds as though you are thinking that maybe the NDP are going to pull their support for the Liberals and send us to the polls sometime before 2025. Are you? Only they can tell you that. They, uh, you know, the NDP has been supporting all of Justin Trudeau's tax increases on working class people. They've supported higher inflation and more expensive cost of living. And they've also supported the policies that have led to a 32% increase in violent crime. So far, the costly coalition of the NDP and Justin Trudeau are sticking together and working for themselves. Uh, it's important for me to work for the hardworking people who build this country. And that's why I'm happy to be in Steeltown for our big bring it home rally. What What is this rally? This is a, a meeting greet. It's a chance for people here to talk to you. Is this simply to further get the message out? Is it to what, what is the, the purpose of being here this weekend? Well, uh, part of it's to keep the heat on to take the tax off. Uh, the NDP and Justin Trudeau want to triple, triple, triple the carbon tax on your heat, gas and groceries, uh, which will make life even more unaffordable. A polyev government a conservative poly of government would ax the tax to lower your heat, gas and grocery bills. We also want to talk about my plan to make work pay again. Right now, it doesn't pay to work. By the time the liberal NDP coalition gets its hand on your paycheck, you barely bring anything home. Um, I'm going to reform and cut income taxes so that people bring home more of each dollar they earn and hard work pays off again. I want this to be a country that works for the people who work. We do know, we've all seen over the, well, since before COVID even, but especially since COVID, what the national deficit is, what the debt is, how much we are owing. So when you're going to talk about cutting the carbon tax, cutting this, cutting that to make things more affordable, I don't think that you are planning on driving the deficit or the plan wouldn't be to drive the deficit or the debt higher, which would mean you will have to also cut some things that we are currently paying for. What are some of the things that you're looking at? You say, I can get rid of that, and that's no problem. Well, first of all, I'm going to fire the high-priced consultants. Under Justin Trudeau, the amount we as taxpayers spend on high-priced consultants has doubled to $21 billion a year. That's $1,400 for every family in Canada. Meanwhile, our bureaucracy is 30% bigger. So why can't all of these new bureaucrats do the work instead of having to contract it out to consultants that charge three and $4,000 a day? So I will be firing these high-priced consultants. I will cut the waste at the 
billion dollar CBC. I'll bring in a law that caps government spending, requiring politicians to find a dollar of savings for every new dollar of spending. Um, stop giving money to foreign dictators and international bureaucracies that waste it and bring that money back home to Canada. In other words, I'm going to bring back our money, and put it in the hands of the hardworking people who earned it. It sounds simple. Um, and when you say these things, I mean, and that's one of the those who would be critical of you would say you make it sound very simple. It can't be this simple or else we would have done this already. Well, it is simple, but it's not easy. Uh, there's a difference between the two. And you, you take someone with discipline and who determination to protect the people's money. And it's a different philosophy. The NDP and Justin Trudeau believe they can spend your money better than you can. And so they tax it out of your pocket and they spend it on bureaucracy and programs and claim that it's all going to trickle back down to you. I believe that the dollar left in the hands of the worker who earned it is better than a dollar in the hands of the politician who taxed it. And that's why I will cap spending, cut waste, fire the high price consultants and put the money back in the hands of our working people again. But even then, are there not things that are completely out of our control? Inflation is one of them. Uh, Obviously, uh, interest rate increases are within the Bank of Canada. But there are things that are way with uh, out of our control that we really can't. You or anyone could not really do anything about, couldn't they? Isn't there? Well, inflation is 100 percent in the hands of the federal government. The reason we have inflation today, there is one reason. And only one reason, despite all of the excuses to the contrary. And it is this. Justin Trudeau and the NDP have printed a half a trillion dollars to fund their deficits. More money, buying fewer goods, equals higher prices. That is a consistent relationship that has gone back thousands of years. And I predicted we would have inflation when they started doing that two years ago. And 40% of all that new spending didn't even go to COVID. So we can't blame it on the pandemic either. It is big, bloated bureaucracy, more money for high price consultants, money wasted on the Arrive Can app, $100 million for the uh, McKinsey consultants, countless other examples of egregious waste that Justin Trudeau and the NDP have supported are driving up the cost of living. The more they spend, the more things cost. That's why you need a conservative, common sense government that will cap spending, fire the high price consultants and bring our money home so our, our workers can get ahead. Before we let you go, I, I wanted to ask, because certainly the issue this week and for the last couple has been uh, from the Globe and Mail's reporting about what's been happening with China and meddling in our elections. You 90 percent, according to Nanos, 90 percent of Canadians are concerned about this. You said you would support an inquiry But I'm wondering, in a case like this, where many of the documents would be classified and many of the witnesses would be unable to speak publicly on some of these things, would an inquiry really resolve anything? Would we be able to know anything or would this whole thing be behind closed doors and we never really know what was going on? Well, we need to have as much of as possible in front of public uh, eyes so that everyone can judge for themselves. what What we do now know publicly is that the dictatorship in Beijing has targeted Uh, for influence and support, Justin Trudeau, over the course of 10 years, they gave $200,000 in donations to the Trudeau Foundation. And they helped Trudeau win two successive elections. That's according to CSIS, not according to me. Trudeau knew about all this. He'd known about it for a decade. 
And yet he's never said anything about it until it popped up in the media. Our intelligence services are an outright revolt because they're so worried that he sold out the interest of our country and endangered the security of our people. And what is the NDP doing? They're helping him cover it up. They're trying to shut down testimony and prevent people from speaking out. Only the conservatives can be counted on to, to prevent this foreign influence, to bring home control of our democracy. And we're going to bring in a foreign influence registry. So anyone paid by a foreign government to manipulate our politics will have to publicly register. And the other thing we need to do for our national security is bring home our strategic industries, steel, mining, oil and gas. We should be producing our own stuff so we can stand on our own two feet and no longer rely on China or any other foreign power for the basic necessities of a strong economy. So we're going to bring home industry, bring home democracy and bring it home for Canadians. You mentioned steel. And the last point, you mentioned steel. Certainly Hamilton uh, fits in with that. You're coming here tomorrow. This has not been a city that traditionally has been all that friendly to conservative federal governments. We have the odd MP that gets elected, but certainly even in the part of town where you're going to be visiting tomorrow, not generally one that elects a conservative government or a conservative member. Do you believe that you're capable of carving into that in this NDP heavy, liberal heavy area in the next election? Well, the NDP and liberals have betrayed the working class people who build our country. They have shipped our jobs and our industries overseas. They have brought in uh, new carbon taxes that hurt our steel and our resource industries and, uh, and, and rob our workers of their paychecks. They have raised taxes, punished people, the people who do the work in the land, and they've imposed a radical woke agenda that, that uh, it does nothing for the working people. So conservatives are going to bring it home for workers. I'm going to make this a country that works for the people who do the work. The people can bring home more of their paycheck and where their dollars go further by getting rid of the carbon tax and reducing the cost of living. But we will win in Hamilton by standing on the, on the sides of the, of the people who are the backbone of the nation. Uh, tomorrow, one thirty at the Grand Olympia Hospitality and Convention Center on Barton. Uh, that is Pierre Polyev. Thank you for this today. Great to be with you. Let's bring it home. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. We are only a couple months away from the coronation of King Charles. And there are big plans that have already been laid out in Britain, three days of celebrations and all kinds of stuff going on with that. Here, though, in Canada, uh, keep in mind, not that I need to remind you, we are a constitutional monarchy. We do still – we still King Charles is still involved in our government in – even in largely ceremonial way, but not completely. But we're not hearing really anything about what Canada is planning to do at this point and this absence of any talk of what may be happening for the coronation has got some monarchists quite concerned. Is Canada going to just let this slide by and not do much? Nathan Tidridge is a watered-down high school teacher. He's also an author of six books on the crown and its role in Canada. He joins us now. Nathan, how are you today? 
Good, Scott. How are you? I'm great. Really appreciate you doing this. This is a tricky one, I think, here, because there are some polls that show people not all that interested in some parts of the country, in some areas with the monarchy. And so if you're a government, you say, well, do we really want to spend any money on this and look like we're just throwing money away? On the other hand, whether we like it or not, it is still the, the crown, the monarchy is still a part of our system of government, and it seems ludicrous then not to do anything. What do you do if you're the government? Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the fact is, is that we are, like, as you said, we're a constitutional monarchy. It, it, it's kind of at the heart of our democracy. And uh, I think this is an important opportunity to kind of uh, present what that means to the country. The, the, you know, this is kind of a, uh, once in a, a, you know, a lifetime for a lot of people event, and it's an opportunity to show what the crown means within the Canadian democracy um, and, and kind of participate in that. So I, I'm kind of uh, I'm going to give the, the government a benefit of the doubt, and I'm hoping that they're 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 taking their time on this to make sure that they get it right. Is that what you really think, though? Or do you think that this is a, a political calculation that says, let's find out if people want any kind of money spent on this so we don't look like we are throwing money away? Well, we're being very Canadian about this. And when and uh, I say that, what I mean is, is that we're, we're worried, yeah, it's a bit, and um, and. and what you know that this is a this is a ceremony but the fact of the matter is is that ceremony is is pretty important uh, i think we've realized that with the absence of that in covid and so we've realized that, that there's a real importance in marking these kind of milestones uh in our lives and this is an important milestone in our national life and so it's uh, again i'd say uh, i think it's a pretty big opportunity for the government and so i hope that the government um, is really taking it seriously, and especially when we consider, you know, the the, the point we're in regarding, you know, reconciliation and treaty, and um, and kind of uh, looking at what our country is going forward. See, and I think that those things you just mentioned, I think that may be part of the reason they may be careful about doing this or be yep. cautious because they're thinking, oh, you know, colonialism, and we've got all these other things we can't celebrate this too much. I really believe that this is starting to have the whiff of much more of a political decision than a governmental or a a systematic decision. Right. And to do nothing is is worse. And I'm speaking as an educator here. You know, this is a, an important moment to educate our population as to how our democracy works and uh, and our society, which the crown is meant to kind of reflect back to us. There are these these um, these important uh, legacies and the ugly that we have to confront as a society. And so this is a moment where we can really have those those types of discussions. And we're, we're talking about a ceremony that goes back over a thousand years. Um, so how can that that ceremony reflect the Canadian reality? And, and there are ways uh, absolutely in which this can be done. If, you know, it's 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 really taken seriously. Yeah. And one of the things that really stands out to me is that 
if we're really concerned, if this comes down to money, if people are saying, well, we don't want a government spending a lot of money on something like this, I'm pretty sure that with the stuff that government wastes money on, we could probably find a few dollars to do this. I mean, if there's a different reason, there's a different reason. But if people are saying, yeah. let's just save the dough, I, uh, you and I and everyone else listening, if given 20 minutes, could find enough money in the government spending with the hundreds of billions of dollars that we could probably find a way to do it. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, if that's money that kind of sets the tone as to what we envision for our society, um, that is money well spent. You know, there's always going to be a government waste. And that that's not me saying that we shouldn't be be watching that. I think that's an important thing to watch. But um, I think it's also important that we, we need to value ceremony. We need to value these moments in our national story. And, uh, and and kind of treat them appropriately, because these are the moments that kind of tell us who we are. Nathan Tidridge, author of six books on the Crown and its role in Canada. I wish we had a lot more time, but uh, things are tight today. Thanks for doing this, though. Really appreciate you jumping in. No problem, Scott. Thank you. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. There are a number of people who work for the burger, who own burger, uh, not burger King, Tim Hortons franchises or work with Tim Hortons or no Tim Hortons who are saying, you know what, this franchise is changing a lot, maybe more than we like. Though once upon a time, this was the... the very Canadian, very Hamilton, very local food, coffee, and donut chain that you would find and, you know, everybody at the hockey rink would be drinking. Well, you know, they got bought out and bought out and it's owned now by a huge corporation. And is it changing too much? That's now the question. Some owners of franchises say, yes, it is. It's just not the same as it used to be. Here in Hamilton, we obviously have a strong connection to this because it started here. Let me bring in Sylvain Charlebois. He is the food professor, as we know him. He joins us now. Sylvain, thanks for this. Hey, no problem. Well, is Tim Hortons changing too much? <laughs> well, for uh, for you guys at Hamilton, I have one thing to say. Uh, the old Tim Hortons is gone, completely gone. You're looking at a very globalized brand now. I mean, in I'd say probably in three, four years from now, There'll be more Tim Hortons outside of Canada than than inside Canada, I would say. Just, just because of the orientation that RBI is giving to the brand itself. And RBI, Restaurant Brands International, by the way, which That's owns, right. which is the big company that owns them. And, you know, once upon a time, I think that especially people around here would have seen that as a real point of pride. Look how this chain that started here is growing. And now, you know, in three years, there might be more outside Canada. But I think that the underlying thing here is that it's changed so much. The reason it's growing outside is because it's not quite the same as it once was. No, I think the focus when it uh, started was was community, to be close to uh, communities across the country, especially rural uh, communities. Uh, you know, you, you, Tim Hortons related, related to hockey, uh, our national our national uh, sport or one of our national sports for sure. And, uh, and people related to, uh, to the coffee, to what was going on. And, and frankly, I mean, uh, coffee shops, Tim Hortons coffee shops uh, became, uh, 
sort of churches, modern churches, where people gather to, to chat uh, after Mass, but instead of chatting outside of Mass, they went to Tim Hortons, basically. So over the years, people were became proud of the brand, and it, it became really one of the most iconic brands in, in Canadian history. However, when... Um, when uh, Trigi Capital, the Brazilians, and Warren Buffett uh, bought uh, Tim Hortons. Uh, it brought uh, Tim Hortons uh, along with Burger King and Popeyes. And all of these companies are now based out of Oakville, Ontario, which is still not too far from you guys. But the intent uh, of, of the new owners was to uh, make uh, Tim Hortons a global brand uh, by really focusing on supply chains. And, and what I mean by that is that they, they, they are looking at, they, they actually have built more efficiencies around supply chains to support stores, the network of stores, similar to what they've done with Burger King. The average franchisee at Burger King owns 150 restaurants. Wow. And at Tim Hortons, it's about four. So it's just completely different. I think over the years, what uh, Tim Hortons wants to accomplish is to actually have franchises which which would own more than just one or two restaurants and that changes everything that does because you're no longer having the owner in the store all the time with the same people who are the regulars coming in who get to know each other it is more of a large-scale mcdonald's situation or what i mean not to pick on mcdonald's but it's it's a very different feel that that's right exactly so so instead of having say one person owning one restaurant making 250 uh 300,000 in profits uh the desired the scenario would be to have one franchisee owning four or five generating maybe 200,000 in profits per restaurant so you're still achieving you know a decent profit but spread out over several stores and 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 the entrepreneur managing three, four stores, some, I mean, some actually can manage, are managing way more than 10 stores. Uh, the philosophy, the business philosophy is completely different. And, and, and that's what's happening right now with Tim Hortons. Well, and what we're reading is that there are many owners, owners of franchises who are going along with this and they're happy with this, but there are some who are really pushing back and saying, I don't like this at all. Is that, is that common within a situation like this to have franchisees bristling at the direction of the ownership? Well, when there's, when there's a major acquisition like that, I certainly uh, we, we we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, you have to think about the franchisees here. I mean, they they bought into a model, uh, and keep in mind when you buy a franchise, you're basically buying a job, a managerial job with some perks. And that's it. And uh, but over the years, uh, Tim Hortons uh, have actually supported uh, people with one or two restaurants uh, the best they could, but with our RBI's arrival, it was pretty violent for probably a third of them, and a third of them are still opposed to what's happening. But now, what's going on is uh, is is that RBI is going through what I call a spring a spring cleaning <laughs> at Tim Hortons. They're starting to let go of some franchisees that, that are disgruntled and uh, and quite vocal. 
And uh, so uh, I, I think one franchisees was let go out of Brantford a few weeks ago, and we are expecting more uh, to to leave the franchise. It's an interesting story for sure, an interesting business story. And, and as I say, I, I do think there is a, a feeling of a connection between this city and that brand. Uh, whether there will continue to be, we, we will see. Uh, Sylvain Charlebois, always appreciate you doing this. Thanks for taking time today. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. I don't know. Do you think so? Do you do you think that there is still a feeling of not ownership, but of kinship? Is that a good word for this between the city and Tim Hortons? I do think there is, but I do wonder if it'll last. We were talking earlier about the fact that there is a long-awaited sequel of History of the World Part One. Now, History of the World Part Two coming out this weekend, and it got it's me thinking. The king. It's good to be the king. It got me thinking. What is the movie that we wish we had had a sequel to? Or what's the movie that we got a sequel to that we really wish they had not given us a sequel to? I want to hear from you. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Those are the numbers. And then you can text us. 905-645-3221. What's the movie you really wish? There was more to tell. And you really wish they had given us a sequel because you really think there would have been a good story there. Or, as I say, conversely, what's the movie that really didn't need a sequel, that they gave us one or two or three or 12 anyway, and you're thinking, you know, they just kind of messed that up. I'll tell you one on the latter first. The 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 series, well, it became a series. The movie that did not need a sequel, it stood well enough on its own, was Jaws. Once you blew up the first big shark, you did not need to find another even bigger shark to blow up and, and to eat more people. And you did not to get, need to get a bigger boat. It just seemed totally unnecessary. You had told the story arc. If you wanted to bring back the, well, even what's his name? What, what was the name of the, uh, oh, I've drawn a blank now on his name. Uh, oh, uh, the, the fisherman? Yeah, uh, Quint, Quint. Quint, yes. All right. You, not to give anything away. Look, if you haven't seen Jaws yet, is it, I think 50 years is long enough for spoiler <laughs> alert. Quint wasn't coming back. Uh, I, I don't know. Richard Dreyfus. Mm, I think we could have done without uh, uh a sequel on that one. But what's the movie or movies or that you wish you had had a sequel to or that we absolutely did not need? I've got another one if you want. Please. Ram or First Blood. Yeah, yeah. First Blood was a great movie. Did not need a sequel. <laughs> no, and they became progressively stupider and stupider and stupider. It just became an Arnold movie after a while, which is, you know, not what I go to, to Rambo for. No. Uh, let me see. We got a few texts here already. A few that I would like to see. Oh, wow. Here's Phil. Phil has been thinking about this, and there's some good ones here. The Breakfast Club. That could have worked. That could have worked. 16 Candles. We've got a John Hughes thing going on here. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. A Ferris Bueller would have been a perfect movie for a sequel, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? I think Ferris Bueller could have done a sequel. Now, you, you hope that they would have done it right, and it wouldn't have been a complete l- lunacy. Goodwill Hunting, yeah. Forrest Gump. I thought about that, and I wondered whether Forrest Gump was really primed for another one. But you probably could have. You could you could have jumped into Forrest Gump fifty years later, where he was now an old man, 
and done that one. Rain Man, maybe. Here's a good one. This is from Phil. E.T. I've thought about E.T. That What about a sequel to E.T.? Now, it's tough because E.T. is one of the greatest movies ever made and the only place to go is down. Yet they said that about Godfather, and it was one of the greatest sequels ever as well. Let me, I'll come back to Phil in a second. Mark is waiting to join us. Mark, how are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm terrific. What movie do you wish there had been a sequel to, or do you wish they had never made a sequel to? I wish they never made a sequel to Blues Brothers 2000. Blue, oh yeah, that's, I think you're right. I mean, is it just because the story had been sufficiently told the first time, or was it because the second one was just so bad? Um, I think it was because John Belushi was long gone at that point, and it just shouldn't have been made. The Blues Brothers, in my opinion, was over. Yeah, should have stood on its own. Yep. There you go. Excellent. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for the call. That's a great one. Appreciate that. All right. Be well. You too. Stay safe tonight. 905-645-3221. Star 9900. Let's keep going because Phil has a long list here, and some of these are really good. Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemount High. Okay. I I, I wonder if that story arc had finished because it was like a high school thing. Uh, This is Spinal Tap. There was a sequel to This is Spinal Tap. Not memorable. And I love Spinal Tap is one of my all-time favorite movies. If you've never seen This Is Spinal Tap, I am telling you, you are missing out. Go look it up. I don't know that we needed that one. But let me go now to James, who is waiting. James, how are you? Hey, I'm doing fine. How about I got two really good ones? Yes. The first one would be The Big Chill. You needed a sequel to The Big Chill. That would have been a good one. Yep. And then a sequel to Almost Famous. That, I wonder how many people have seen Almost Famous, James. I love that movie. It's an amazing movie. You know what? Yeah, it's it's very iconic because I think a lot of us can reflect and see parts of our lives in that as we followed. You know, that was our, the music of our era. Yeah, yeah. No, it was an amazing movie. Uh, Cameron Crowe wrote that, right, I think? Was, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, and I wonder, I, I think, you. I mean, Almost Famous told, a, it was a coming-of-age story of a guy who yeah. worked for Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah. So, But I wonder if you could have done it another 20 years later probably i don't know if it would have worked right away but if you'd given time in between for a sequel years or a decade or two later that could have worked well if you kind of remember the very last scene when he interviews the guy for the final time you know you thought like well that could easily be 10 years later right yeah see where they ended up listen have a great weekend thanks james those are great suggestions thank you for that appreciate you calling in let me go to another james james number two how are you the sequel to james how are you how are you yes what movie would you wish you could have seen a sequel to or wish they'd never made a sequel to I think Rocky should have stood alone. That's an interesting one, James. That is and, a minor and masterpiece, really. It was a masterpiece, and I didn't mind Rocky Two. Rocky Two was was still pretty good, and it kind of it allowed Rocky to have a win at the end, which made you feel good. But it has gotten a little silly. Yeah, I, I, I still I firmly think so. The best films of all time. There's only one. Almost in almost every case, I would argue that with the Godfather. But yes, yes yeah. you're 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 not wrong, and it's really it, even as I'm asking this question, James, I'm recognizing that probably even if they listened to us and made these sequels, they probably would have made them terrible. 
So I, I grant I grant you that. But yeah. uh, listen, great, great, uh, great suggestion. Rocky's a great one. Thanks for calling love in today. It. I love the, the original. Be safe, James. Stay safe out All there right. tonight. Thank you. Uh, we have to take a very quick break here, but we're not going anywhere on this one. So if you're on the line, hang in on the line. If you want to get in on the line, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. We want to hear from you. Or you can text us, 905-645-3221. What movie do you wish they had made a sequel to? Or what movie do you really wish that they had never made a sequel to because it was awful? Let's go to Dave Woodard in the 900 CHML newsroom with an update on what's coming up in the news at the top of the hour. But first, Dave, what mm-hmm. movie do you wish they had made a sequel to or never made a sequel to? I wish they do Groundhog Day 2 and then just release <laughs> the original. <laughs> See? That's why we have Dave. Brilliant thinking. <laughs> You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. What are the movies that you wish they had made a sequel to or really wish they had not made a sequel to? couple more here. Uh, by the way, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Would love to hear from you on this one. Or text us, 905-645-3221. Here's one that's been suggested. This one I'm really torn on, but I think it could have been great because of people involved. The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride, a sequel to The Princess Bride. That You could have done that, and that could have been okay and not been totally ludicrous. I am convinced. I am convinced of that one. Alex is waiting to join us. Alex, how are you today? Good. How you doing, buddy? I am terrific, Alex. What would you have either loved to have seen a sequel to or really wish they never had done? I got two good ones for you. Hit me. The first one, they needed a sequel to A Christmas Story. Yes. And now, I wonder if they did. Hamilton, Hamilton boy, little Ralphie. Yeah. I, you know what? I wonder if they ever did. They, you think Will thinks they may have done one, but I don't remember. But not maybe, as but as the first one, not there. as classic. No, 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 absolutely not. No. Yeah, there was a direct-to-video sequel that I saw. Lovely. And it was awful. All right, so a good one. Let's let's go back, Alice. We would have liked a good sequel to a Christmas story. How about that? Yeah. Like, okay. What's the other uh, one? The Dumb and Dumber did not need Dumb and Dumber two. Or I think there was a third one in there called Dumber, Dumb and Dumberer, I believe, yeah, which was even worse. Worse, just to just screwed up a, a classic, amazing movie. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a terrific one, Alex. Because Dumb and I was, Dumber, I'm so disappointed with it. Yeah, because Dumb and Dumber, I know some people listening are going, "Okay, you people are morons." And it was a great movie. It was a oh, funny yeah. movie. Yeah. All right. Excellent choice. That untouched. I, absolutely, Alex. Thank you for that. Excellent job. Stay safe out there tonight. Yeah, I just want to say that my buddy Ryan, he's a big listener too. Hey, Ryan. Have well, you know, Ryan, you stay safe too. Alex, thanks for the call today. Have a good night. Uh, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Let's get to some of these other ones. Whoops, hold on a second. I know my text will work eventually. Uh, Ed says Elf. Elf, we should have had a sequel to. Elf is a good one. Uh, with Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell was asked to do Elf as a sequel and always said no, that he wouldn't do it. And now it becomes tough because James Caan is gone. And um, uh, Let's see. Mike. Uh, where does Mike say here? i got to scroll down. A sequel to the old Western Bonanza. I'm assuming he means the TV series. All right. That's, uh, yeah. Uh, Zan, they didn't need to do so many Rambos. No, that's true. They only needed to do the very first one, as we said. Once First Blood was taken care of, I think they didn't need to do any more after that. The long, long trailer with Lucille Ball. 
Hmm. Now that one, I don't know. So I can't speak to that one too much. I don't know that one. Uh, Mr. Lowe, I actually wish that a final episode of Hogan's Heroes was done, like with Mash and Cheers, a a wrap-up. That's kind of the same thing. Kind of along that idea. Um, This is Andy. They should have never tried to do a remake of True Grit. Horrible. All right. I don't disagree with that one. Dave is on the line. Dave, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you? I'm terrific. What would you have loved to see a sequel to or wish they'd never bothered to get into it? Well, I got to admit with the true grit, uh, the second one, they're good actors, but it just didn't make the first one. All right. All right. Any other one? And the sequels that I appreciated was with Silence of the Lambs, the Red Dragon series. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. It kind of gets dark, but it was a good series of films. You mean it kind of gets dark when you're talking about someone who's a cannibal and a murderous man? (laughs) Shocking that it would go dark. Through the whole whole series. Dave, thank you for the call. Really appreciate it. Take care tonight. All right. Thank you. Uh, Let me give you one really good one that we needed a sequel to, and we still could get it because they are still of the right age and right genre, whatever, right era. I think Bridesmaids could hold up a sequel and be an off, an awesome sequel. There's tons there still that you could work with with those actresses. And one of the all-time worst sequels that, you know, look, I, I, it's probably not the coolest thing ever to say that I like the movie Grease and watch it a million times as a kid. But Grease 2, even though Michelle Pfeiffer was in it, truly one of the worst wastes of celluloid ever inflicted upon civilization. Did not need to do a Grease 2. Once the car with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John took off into the sky, it was good enough. You were done. They had a song about sex education in that movie, and it is – what what the hell did I listen to? <laughs> uh, Pretty in Pink, someone says. They'd like to see a sequel to Pretty in Pink, and uh, that is – who wrote that? I wonder if I have a name here. Is that a John Hughes? Uh, yes. Oh, oh, oh absolutely. The, the texter, I'll guess. Yeah, no. And uh, the outlaw Josie Wales, I'd like to see what happened to him and his crew. That is from – I don't know who that is who sent that. So, But these are good suggestions. Here's one. What about Shawshank Redemption? Could you do a Shawshank Redemption one with with Red and Andy afterwards? You know, I think a, a short movie would would be fun. You know, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I think I, and the more I think of it, I think Shawshank is one of those ones that probably it, it is ends best. so perfectly. Exactly. That it's one of my favorite movies of all time. So you always say, "Oh, I'd like more," but. Um, yeah, and, and and there is a website that says uh, there's a website out there that that lists movies that never should be allowed to have a sequel. Ooh. And I will say, I will just give one here that I would say, yes, they're absolutely correct. We never should have a sequel to Schindler's List. That would be, oh. that would be, uh, you know what? It was a, a Academy Award winning movie. Thankfully, nobody has thought, hey, I wonder if we could catch up with Schindler after the war or something. And do, No. It, you know what? Again, some just have to stand on their own and uh, be beautiful art for what they are. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. Hey, that is the time we've got today. 
and besides, Will and I both have to get in our car and race home before we're snowed in. So uh, thanks for listening. We really appreciate you joining us today. We uh, Thanks to Will for keeping us on the air and Liz for all of her work lining everything up and all of our amazing guests and you, callers, listeners, all of you, whatever. Uh, we really do appreciate you sticking with us and being with us today. Be safe out there. Apparently, I, I don't really have a window right now, but I'm told it's getting starting to get a little nasty. So be very careful out there, especially if you have to drive a little bit later, please. Uh, we want you to be able to listen next week. So take care of yourself out there. Have a great weekend, and we will talk to you soon. Scott Thompson is back on Monday. See ya. And boom goes the dynamite.